Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? We good? Um, I'm proud of you. You survived the heat as you crawled through it in May. This is way too hot. If you're visiting, I'm sorry. I do not know what happened. I was born and raised in Arizona. May is not normally like this, although I will say the last time I remember May like this, June was like March, which means it's like 70. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, my name is Mike Zarati. I am part of the preaching team here at Compass Church. I am the executive pastor of students and families, so I don't really, I feel like every time I come in here to spend time with you, it's like, oh yeah, big church. This is fun, I, adults. This will be new to me, okay? So um, I am here tonight to continue our series, uh, The Real Deal in an Era of Fake Everything. And uh, we are going to be in 1 John. Don't let that confuse you with John or 2 John. We're gonna be in 1 John chapter two, okay? 1 John chapter two. Now, what I wanna make sure that we understand before we get started here is that over the last few weeks as we've been walking through the book of 1 John, John has sort of had something that he's been addressing, sort of a tone that he's taking, okay? He's been basically walking us through what he thinks that believers should do, okay? What believers should do, all right? Last week, Gabe kind of uh, reminded us of this. He, He talked about how in verse three, it says that by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So the first thing that John wants us to do is to keep his commandments. And last week, Gabe talked about verse 10, which says, the way that we know who the real believers are is by how they love one another. That was kind of the big idea from last week. So we're supposed to obey God's commandments and love one another. So there's this like, here's what we want believers to do. Now this week, as we go into the back end of John chapter two, we're gonna see a major shift in what John is focusing on away from what we should do towards a warning. In fact, there's gonna be three warnings that John's gonna hit us with tonight, okay? Now, what I'd like you to do is if you have a Bible, go ahead and start turning there. We're gonna be in John chapter two, verses 15 through 17 tonight. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, that's okay. We're gonna have the slides up on the screen. Um, And while you're turning there, I've got a little surprise for you, okay? Uh, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. We like to have fun. So I thought, what's more fun than giving away money? I have a crisp, fresh, brand new, ooh, I hit it, brand new $100 bill right here. Does everyone see it? Can, can I get a confirmation? Does that look real? Do you see the, yeah, do you see, you see the strips? We know it's real because there's a strip. Okay, I'm going to give this $100 bill to one of you here tonight. I know, right? You didn't come to church thinking, man, I'm gonna go and make some money at church tonight, right? Uh, you didn't, this is a surprising thing. Okay, first I want you to know this is not a joke. I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. I'm not gonna make you donate it or anything afterwards. This is the real deal. Someone here tonight is going to walk away with a crisp $100 bill. And the best part about it is I'll see in a moment, no one's even gonna know that you won it. So you don't even have to have accountability on how you spent it, okay? All right, so pretty exciting, right? We have a $100 bill at church, about to be given away. Uh, Before I give it away, uh, I have some questions, okay? 
Benjamin wanted me to ask you some questions. Question number one, how bad do you want to be the one person who walks away with this tonight? How bad do you want it? How bad? What, in fact, what would you do in order to obtain it? It's like, is he gonna make me do something? How bad do you want it? Would you be willing to be the first person to race up here and grab it out of my hands? No, don't do it. I'm gonna have to really worry about this tomorrow, second service when all the high school students sit over here. Okay. Would you be willing to race up here, pushing someone out of the way in order to get it? Would you be willing on go to run out that door race all the way around the church to run back across the finish line to win the prize? Would you be willing to do 100 push-ups for my Benjamin? Telling you someone's gonna get this. Now here's the one where I cross the line and I know it. Would you be willing to walk up on the stage and do a rousing rendition of I'm a little teapot short? Would you be willing to do, would you be in front of the entire audience? Someone, someone said, yes I would, just ask me to do it. What lengths would you be willing to go to to walk out of this room with this $100 bill? I have a different question to ask now. Is there anything inherently or naturally wrong with this $100 bill? Is there anything evil about it? No, there's not. What about what we might do with it? What about what we might do now? That's a different conversation, right? There's really simply, definitely, things that are wrong that we could do with this, right? We could spend it on terrible, morally wrong things. It's $100, you could get a lot of terribly, morally wrong things. There's also kind of neutral things, right? Things that aren't necessarily bad, but you certainly wouldn't say good, but maybe you'd say bad, and maybe you go, I don't know. Maybe we'll call them neutral things, like maybe you go and buy a video game, maybe you go and buy a movie, or maybe you go and buy Coca-Cola Classic, now, I don't know if you were here last week, if you were here last week, at least in the service I attended, Pastor Gabe went after Dr. Pepper, okay? Shame on him. The only, the only neutral or closely morally wrong thing would be to choose Coca-Cola over Dr. Pepper, and I know that Dr. Pepper has prune juice in it, but what he failed to mention is that Dr. Pepper has 23 flavors, prune juice is one of them, and I refer to them as 23 flavors of heaven. Students here at the church recognize the, ne- the juice of Jesus, the nectar of Jesus, I refer to Dr. Pepper. I'm a fan of Dr. Pepper. I move on. Neutral things, or we could do a good thing. Maybe we could send a high school or middle school student to camp. Maybe we buy a Bible for a friend and then take them out to dinner and give it to them and tell them and show them how to read it. Now, how many of you in the last two minutes have sat there and thought, what you would do if you won this, two, this $100 bill. How many of you thought about that? And let me ask you the craziest question of all. Here we go. What is more valuable to you right now, this $100 bill or the reality that you are so loved by God that he came to rescue you from your sins? Interesting question, isn't it? I know you may be sitting here going, well, it depends on what he means by the word valuable. Is he talking about valuable for my bank account? Because 
or valuable for the fact that we've been saving for that vacation for six months and it's coming next month and we're a little short. Or maybe a mom in here, valuable for that uh, Mother's Day gift you've been hinting at, right? Or maybe he's talking about a larger picture, the grand scheme of things in the long run, what's more valuable. I told you that someone was gonna get this $100 bill and I wasn't lying. But you're not gonna have to do anything to obtain it. All you have to do is open your program and look inside the offering envelope. If you have a little sticker in it that says, please see Pastor Mike after service, please don't stand up and scream. That was intended so that you could get this secretly. All you have to do is bring me the envelope at the end of the service and I will hand you this crisp $100 bill, okay? That's all you have to do. You can look now or later, you can check again, but in a sense, you won the church lottery today if that was your sticker. I wanted to do this illustration today for a very simple reason. I wanted to illustrate a point that John is gonna make tonight. There are many things in this world that we place significant value on, and I mean significant value. Money is one of them, but only one of them. And today, John is gonna warn us to take a moment and ask a very important question. The question is this. In the end of life, at the end of our lives, what will really matter? The end of our lives, what will really matter? Or to put it another way, in an era, in, in an era of fake everything, what is the real deal? What's really gonna matter? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're gonna read now. If not, it was re- we'll see it on the screen. Second, or First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions, or the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now I'm certain that there was someone in this room halfway through me reading that text thought, okay, I see what's happening here. I I see what's gonna happen. This can be one of those messages where you're gonna get up there and you're gonna talk about how money is evil and how I should feel terrible because I desired the $100 bill that you put up there and told me that I might get a chance to win. Here we go again. First off, that's not what I'm talking about tonight. Really, it's not what John's talking about tonight. Truth is, I could have used any number of things for this illustration, but money was the easiest thing. In order to understand what John's trying to warn us about here, we need to dig a bit deeper to kind of dive into this, because on the surface, we might just tend to wander to like, oh, maybe I just shouldn't like things. But it's much more than that. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna unpack this text. So we're gonna start right here with this, this opening phrase, do not love the world. So we gotta understand what this means. The first word we see there that we need to clarify is the word love. Do not love the world. What does he mean by love? What does he mean by love? Is this romantic? Like, this is weird. What does he mean by that? John's talking about something. It's to like or to love something on the basis of high regard for its value or importance. Really, the best way to, the best word to see there to get the full picture is value. Do not value the world. 
It's that placing a high amount of value or importance on something. So that's do not love the world. Now it's do not love the world. What does he mean by world? This is, this is actually a little bit confusing on the surface because if you think about it, aren't we supposed to love the world? Didn't last week Pastor Gabe stand up here and read verse 10 that talks about how we're supposed to love our brother and that's how, we'll know that, that's how people will know that we're Christians and aren't our brothers and sisters in the, in the church and in the world and shouldn't we kind of love the world because there's people in it? And by the way, isn't there the fairly famous verse, maybe you've heard it, maybe you didn't, First John 3.16, I'm sorry, John 3.16, slip there, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What is he talking about? World, what do you mean we, we shouldn't love the world? Which one is it? Should we love it or not? Well, viewed as people, the world must be loved. When it says that God so loved the world, it's referring to the people of the world. When viewed as people and the people of the world, God's created, made in his image, we should absolutely love it. But John's not talking about that. Here John is talking about a broken system, a system that is organized under the dominion of Satan, not of God, and is altogether hostile to God. And in that sense, it should not be loved. So we're gonna reread this, this verse with some additions to kind of add clarity. Do not love or place too much value on the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves or places too much value on the world, the love of the Father or the value for God is not in him. And this really sums up John's first warning to us today. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. To put it simply, you, can, you cannot overly value the world or the things of the world and claim to supremely value Jesus at the same time. Jesus addresses this issue, in fact, in, the, in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. He says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And there's a context there. God's talking about money. Again, we're talking about a much larger thing here. Could be money, could be many things. We cannot serve two masters. I'm a football fan. I love the NFL. Born and raised in Arizona, go Cardinals, okay? I have a problem with certain types of football fans. Maybe you're, you're seeing where I'm going with this, okay? It's the type of person who goes, I'm a Cardinals fan, unless the Steelers are in town. Or I'm a Cardinals fan, unless the Seahawks are in town. Or I'm a Cardinals fan, unless the 49ers are in town. What are you talking about? You can't say you're a fan of one unless someone else comes. You have to be a fan of one, because, of just one, because all the others are the enemies. The Cardinals are literally trying to beat everyone else to get to the Super Bowl, and you want to cheer for the Cardinals? No, you want the Cardinals to lose. If your team, if your team keeps winning and the Cardinals keep winning, they're going to have to play each other, and my team's better. You can't serve two masters. This is really what we're talking about here, okay? You can't overly value the world and love the broken system and all the things that come with the world, all of this stuff, and then say, I love Jesus supremely. You can't do it. It doesn't work. That's John's warning number one. John then moves on to give us two more warnings about why we place too much value on the world or the things of the world, and that it's actually a really bad idea Let's pick up in verse 16. For all that is in the world, 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Here we see warning number two. This world has nothing for you. This world has nothing for you. How can you say that? This world has nothing for me. How can we say that? Gotta remember the term world. We're talking about a broken system of values and goals which completely and utterly exclude God. That's what John's referring to, the brokenness of the world. The part of it that ignores and excludes God and gives him zero value. John's literally saying that system, all of that has nothing for you. James talks about this in James chapter one. Do not be deceived, my brothers, but every good, gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Well, come on, Mike, like you can't be serious. The world obviously offers me something. I receive stuff from the world all the time. Yeah. I'm not saying there's nothing it actually gives you. John's not saying that. What he's referring to is that the things that the world give you have no value. And then he goes on to establish what the things the world actually gives us are. And he gives us three things. The first one is the desires of the flesh. The world gives us the desires of our flesh. Now what on earth does that mean? See, to most of us in this day and age, when we hear the terms flesh, we start to think that we're, it's referring to something sexual. And maybe, maybe we're just the desires of the flesh. That would make sense, right? Yes, but it's more than that. When John refers to the flesh, he means much more than this. He's referring to our fallen nature. It's to live a life dominated by the senses and our basic needs. He's referring to the part of us that is broken that is sinful, are those, those sinful desires. It refers to our internal, natural desires, things like food, sex, thirst, and sleep. But it's interesting, you think, well, those aren't wrong, Mike. What are you talking about? I, I can't help those. The reality here is that God has given man certain desires. These desires are good, and you're right. You can't help them. Hunger, thirst, weariness, a sex drive are not necessarily evil in and of themselves or wrong. There's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, sleeping, or having children, but when the flesh controls them, rejects God's ideas, when the flesh controls them, they become lusts. And this is how the world operates. It appeals to the normal appetites, that natural, normal desires, and tempts us to satisfy them in harmful ways. Let me give you an illustration. You ready for this? It's profound. I love peanut butter M&Ms, okay? I love them. They are my favorite candy on the planet. They are above all other candies in my life anywhere else. They beat Reese's there, I said it, get over it, okay? I love peanut butter M&Ms. Is there anything inherently wrong with peanut butter M&Ms? Nope. Is there anything inherently wrong with my desire to eat peanut butter M&Ms? No, not at all. But if I were to satisfy my desire without discipline, there'd be negative consequences, wouldn't there? <laughs> this is from peanut butter M&Ms. 
The desires inside of us, they're not wrong. But when we allow our flesh, the part of us that is sinful and broken, to chase after those desires and to satisfy those desires with whatever means possible, we have a problem. This is John's point. If you satisfy your natural desire in ways that we often want to, it does you absolutely no good. I just ate a whole pizza. When is that ever good? And yeah, you wanted it. You wanted it bad. Why else would you have eaten the whole pizza? At the end of your life, if we're constantly satisfying these natural desires and we can get to the end of our life and say that we did it, we satisfied them all, what did you gain? That's John's point. John's next example of this, of what the world has to offer, is the desires of the eyes. This is where the desires of the flesh speak to our internal desires. The desires of our eyes refers to our external wants. Temptations from without that come through our eyes. It describes our covetous and acquisitive nature, our constant wanting of things that we do not have. It's the spirit which we can see nothing without wishing to acquire it. How often do we see and immediately desire what we do not have? How often do we see something and immediately desire what we do not have? How quickly do things take over our thoughts, our actions, and our focus? And what lengths do we go to naturally as human beings to get and acquire the things that we desire with our eyes? Take that $100 bill, for example. Maybe you thought with that money I could get that thing that's on my Amazon wish list. The truth is many of us likely saw that money as a means to acquire something that we want and probably not as much a lot of the other options. John is asking us to question what real value our covetous acquiring nature really gains us. At the end of your life, you gain and acquire everything that you see and want. Let me ask you a question. That's what John's asking. What have you gained? Can you take it with you? What value have you really acquired? John's final example of what the world has to offer is the pride of life. This describes a person who boasts of what he or she has or does. Their arrogance relates only to their external circumstances, their wealth, position of power, their dress, their clothes, their possessions. This is someone whose life is spent in an attempt to impress everyone he or she meets with his or her own importance. It describes the desire to outshine everyone else. The pride of life, look at me. Look what I've got, look what I've done. It feels great to have people see how awesome I am because of what I've gained. Now before we all kind of dismiss this as our, this isn't something I struggle with, that's a little extreme, Mike. The other ones, maybe, not this one. Before we dismiss it, let me ask you some questions. Do not we each thirst for and crave acceptance? 
Don't we all want to be seen as exceptional? Don't we all want to be praised? Think again about that $100 bill. You ever had a $100 bill where you're paying at the grocery store and you slap that sucker down and you're like, yeah, that's right. It's a Benjamin. Bet you only got 20s. Now you gotta wonder how many more of those I have in my pocket. We've all been there. It never hurts for our friends to see what we f- that we finally got that new car we've been working so hard for, does it? And maybe you're in here today and you're like, Mike, I just don't get it. This just seems a little too extreme for me. Why do you say this world is nothing? These things that you're describing, Mike, they're not all that bad. I feel like you're going a little bit too far. Let me clarify here before we move on. I want you to understand this. This is what John means. If you aim for or value the things of the world at the end of your life, what will you have accomplished? What will you have gained? Status, wealth, a sexual conquest, a large belly, the car you've wanted your whole life, the home that you've always dreamed to have. Maybe you've owned everything you've always wanted. What good in the grand scheme of things does a single one of those things actually do for you when you're gone? Or even when you're alive? What good, what value, what has it done? Are all these things necessarily bad? Is it bad to have accomplished these things? Absolutely not. I am not telling you that if you have gained things that you've desired, that you've done anything wrong, please do not hear that. You have not. That's not what John's point is. John's trying simply to get us to reevaluate the value we place on things. If all that we have at the end of our life is this stuff, these conquests, this pride, what have we gained? What have we really gained? Ben Murphy is one of our high school uh, volunteers and on Tuesday night he was on this stage in a room of about 70 high school students and he was teaching and he pulled up this quote from someone that I didn't expect to see a quote like this from but I think it fits perfectly. Jim Carrey says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. This world has nothing for you. And you could spend your life trying to prove me wrong, but you'll get to the end of your life and find that John's right. Warning number one, we can't serve two masters. Warning number two, this world has nothing good for you. John two, first John 2.17 says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. John's final warning is this, this world is passing away. Have you ever noticed that everything that you buy breaks, loses its value, or decays? Everything. Everything we buy. Again, not a bad thing to do, There's no sin in it, you're not doing, but have you ever noticed that everything that you purchase, that that you purchase breaks, loses its value, or decays? Or gets eaten, and then it's gone. And yet it seems that we're almost under a spell, doesn't it? We always want something new. That something becomes old, then we start all over again. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this world is passing away and everything in it. Everything we love or value loses its value. Everything we love or value breaks. Everything we love or value decays. Everyone we love passes away. We pass away. John's point is the only way to remain and abide and not be one that passes away with it is to do the will of God because whoever does that abides forever. In fact, I believe this is John's main point for us here. This world and everything in it is passing away and in the end, only our love for Jesus will matter. Nothing else. This world is passing away and in the end, the only thing that will matter is our love for Jesus. And so, tonight, We've got to learn to put everything in its rightful place. Ladies and gentlemen, we are really good at elevating things to positions they don't belong, to positions that do us absolutely no good. And if we're honest, all of us give some of the highest value that we can give to things that have absolutely zero eternal value. The truth is that that fact, that reality is destroying many of us. Well, that's a dramatic statement, Mike. Destroying us? How could you say that? How can you say that? Because many of us are walking around thinking, I believe in God and everything is fine. But the truth is that though you may believe For many who believe God is not the thing we love, God is the conduit to the things that we love. For many of us, God, we struggle not to have God simply be the person that we ask for things. This is so prevalent today and it is so dangerous. Well, that's not true of me, Mike. Not me. Before you just end there, can I ask you a clarifying question? What person or thing do you have that you cannot imagine losing? What if I told you that tonight God was calling you to surrender that thing or that person? Would you be able to trust him? Or would you decline out of fear that he would take it away? John is telling us something very simple and profound. You are going to lose it or them. Whether by your death or by theirs. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that we're way back in the Civil War era. I'm gonna steal an illustration out of Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. Way back in the Civil War, and and, uh, we live, you live up in the North States, and the war's about to end, but you've spent a lot of time down in the Confederate States, and during that time, you've, you've gained a lot of Confederate money. But you, you know that the war is ending. And at the end of the war, that money is gonna have very little value. In fact, it will have zero value. 
what would you do with your Confederate money? You would trade it in for U.S. money, wouldn't you? Why? Because at the end of the war, that Confederate money has absolutely zero value. You see, we have an inside knowledge that one day this world and everything that's in it will pass away. Are we holding on to our Confederate money? Are we spending all of our time and our possessions and our passions on things that will never matter? Not in the long run. Christian, perhaps today you've come face to face with the reality that God has not been the thing that you love, but instead has been relegated only to be the thing that gets you the things that you love. And I would challenge you strongly, even if that statement feels untrue about you, at least part of it is. We have to be honest about this. We're human, we have flesh, we're not perfect, we cannot sit here and say that's not me, it is. Perhaps for some of us, there's even been something that's always been a nagging temptation. It's been gnawing at you and calling you and perhaps you've even considered chasing after it, giving up everything that you have just to obtain it. I think John would have you hear this today. That thing will never satisfy you. Run from it and run into the arms of the only thing that has ever mattered. Jesus. God is calling us today to surrender all that we have to follow him and to make him our prized possession. We don't have to stop wanting and desiring things. We simply have to put them in their rightful place. And ladies and gentlemen, John's message loud and clear is there is nothing and no one better than Jesus in the end. He is all that will matter. Christians, I challenge you today to go home this weekend, to get on your knees and to say, God, show me. Show me the things that I've placed way too much value on. And remind me of how much I need you. Because in the end, you're all that will matter. If you're in this room today and you're not a Christian, it does not take a relationship with Jesus to see that the wor this world and the things of this world are passing away. Perhaps you've wondered at times, is this all this world has to offer? Is this all that life is? Perhaps you're here and you're tired of chasing things that have never and will never have any lasting value. Maybe you've wondered could there be something more? There absolutely is. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you 
and has never stopped loving you. No matter what you've done, what you've gained, what your heart has said, what you've spoken with your mouth, he loves you, and I invite you today to give up. Give up trying to satisfy all of these desires with sex and money and fame. I invite you to say, enough! I invite you to place your trust in Jesus. But Mike, what do I have to do to give up? What do I have to surrender? Confederate money. Everything and nothing. My guess is that if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with the Lord, your heart is beginning to see that God is more wonderful than you ever dared to imagine. And at the very least, that the things that you've fought to acquire are less valuable than you ever thought they were. Not only is God wonderful, but he's loving and he's forgiving and he's calling you home. If that's you, it's as simple as telling him with all sincerity in your heart, I need you, Lord. More than anything else in the world, I need you. Rescue me. Make me new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so easy to get caught up in things and in ourselves. I thank you for John's warnings. And I pray that by the power of your spirit here today, God, your presence here today, that you would work on our hearts to help us to see that really this world has nothing for us. And that if we spend our lives putting all of our hope in this world or the things of this world or in other people, God, we are gonna be disappointed and we will come to the end of our life with nothing. Oh God, I pray we see your infinite worth. I pray that we find you more valuable than anything. And if there's anyone here today, Lord Jesus, who wants to have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they know that you've always been there and all they need to do is cry out, I need you. And you will rescue them and make them new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.